then, this is Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast with my co-host Frank Santo Padre, and we're once again recording at Nutmeg with our engineer Frank Verderosa. Our guest this week is a singer, musician, and Emmy-winning and Tony-winning actor who has conquered the stage, nightclubs, films, and television over his nearly seven-decade career. Memorable films include Alan Alda's A New Life, When You Coming Back, Red Rider, and Out to Sea, co-starring screen legends Jack Lemmon and Walter Matthau. His TV appearances are too numerous to mention, but here goes anyway. <laughs> the FBI, The Love Boat, The Carol Burnett Show, The Golden Girls, The Muppet Show, Great Performances, Will and Grace, Gilmore Girls, Night of a Hundred Stars, The Mindy Project, and Two Broke Girls, just to name a few. He's also worked extensively on Broadway and off-Broadway stage, appearing in hit shows like Bells Are Ringing, The Pajama Game, The Apple Tree, On a Clear Day You Can See Forever, Cabaret, and The Rothschilds, for which he was awarded the Tony for Best Actor. Is there more? You bet there is. He's also an accomplished musician and nightclub performer, and in 2011, he released his first album of jazz and pop standards, It's Never Too Late. But to us, as well as millions of viewers all over the world, he'll always be known as the unflappable and compassionate police captain, Barney Miller. In the iconic and long-running TV series of the same name. Please welcome to the podcast a man of multiple talents and, to our knowledge, the only man to work with both Billy Barty and Godzilla. <laughs> Hal Linden. Boy, am I impressed. What a... What a... What a resume! Yeah, did, did you know? And by who, the way, by the way, it is seven decades. How many years it, in total, Al? Well, if it depends where you count from. Mm-hmm. I actually I became a professional musician in 1945, so it's over seven decades. Wow, seventy years of show business. I got to tell you, one thing I saw on TV once that annoyed the hell out of me. Uh, it was one of these shows, like you know, maybe like these joke type shows, like they throw together a special. And this was making fun of these actors and athletes who release albums where they sing, like you know William Shatner and U Downs and all those people. Oh, Leonard Nimoy. Yeah, yeah Leonard Nimoy. A yeah. bunch of them. And and in, that's right, Telly Savalas. Yes, 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 he did one. And in the midst of it, just to show how fucking stupid they were, they go, <laughs> and when Barney Miller was on the air, even Hal Linden thought he could sing. And I thought, the fuck is wrong with them? He's a singer. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> he started as a singer. That was my, that was my entrance into the theater. Yeah. I came, from, I came from the big band era where I uh, played with the... Uh, 
Bobby Sherwood and Ray McKinley and bands like that as a saxophone player, but I was always the bo the boy singer, uh, or not really the boy singer. I was the one who jumped out of the saxophone section, sang the song, and then had to go back and sit down and play the rest of the song on the saxophone. Um, and when I went into the theater, the natural place was into the musical theater. So I started out singing right away. Yeah, I've heard you say you didn't really want to be John Raitt. You wanted to be Benny Goodman. Benny Goodman. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, that was in the beginning. I, I actually started as a legitimate clarinet player. Mm -hmm. Had I any kind of discipline in my life, I would today be a, or would have been a first chair clarinet player with some symphony. Uh, mm -hmm. And think about it. I could have been making hundreds of dollars a week. <laughs> and um, the, it was lack of discipline and, and hormones that drove me out of the classical music business. I, I realized that more girls went to dances than went to symphony concerts. So I became a saxophone player, and that blew the whole <laughs> legitimate career. We should say, too, you're born right here in the Bronx. Bronx, New York. Yeah, another New York guest. We've had and, a lot of New York-born guests on this show. And tell us your real name. Harold Lipschitz. Hard and what to, was... Hard, oh, to, hard, since I was going to be a big band leader, hard to parse Swing and Sway with Harold Lipschitz. It just didn't <laughs> quite make it. So between, between high school and college, I changed my name. And, and what was your nickname? Lippy. 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 Listen, that's the best, that's the better part. Could have been the other half, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and you came from a musical family, didn't you, Hal? I, my brother, uh, I had one brother, uh, two cousins who lived downstairs and four cousins who lived in another, uh, across uh, the Bronx. Uh, six boys. I was the youngest and Every one of them started out as uh, musically, as a musician. At mm -hmm. one point, five of the eight were professional musicians and major professional musicians. I'm talking about first chair viola with the NBC Symphony. I'm talking about the, the uh, concert master of the Goldman Band. Uh, really top-notch musicians. I was, as I say, the youngest. Uh, so... When a time came for me to, it was just a question. It wasn't a question of was I going to study music. It was a question of pick an instrument. We've got a clarinet. We got a fiddle. <laughs> what do you want to play? And uh, <laughs> so it was for, a foregone conclusion for me. So you are from a whole family of of just music. my just my generation. Nobody in the uh, it didn't come from uh, musicians, but my father was a music lover, and he thought. Uh, the way he put it, he, he said, when you go to a concert, I want you to know what you're listening to. That's why he taught us music. That's why he insisted we study music. And it turned out to be a godsend. Certainly was for me, because when I finally did go into the uh, theater and became an actor, um, I never waited on tables. I never drove a cab. I... Because I could do all, I could read music, I could sight sing, I could do uh, 
jingles. I could do all kinds of things that uh, other people couldn't do. Thank heaven for the music. I've heard you say you did everything in show business that somebody could just do, basically. About. Just about. If you, could, if, you, <laughs> if you make me a list, I don't think I missed anything. <laughs> Gilbert, you'd find this interesting, too, that, that one of the things Hal did early on is, what, what, what would you call it, Hal? Was it dubbing? Was it... Was it uh, we called uh, it dubbing at the time. Yeah. Uh, this was in the late 50s, early 60s, when there were um, only three... Um, networks and uh, every so often every city city had an independent station and what they used to do is uh, they would show either very old movies or foreign movies that they could get really cheap foreign movies that uh, never came to America and we would go into a studio and put the English uh, words into the uh, foreign actors right. mouths and uh, they would write the entire script, and we'd go and and do it piece by piece, put put the words, and it was always lip synced, so that it looked like the uh, a- actors were speaking in English, which uh, explains the Godzilla part in the yeah, intro. Yes, because Godzilla, Godzilla versus yes. the Sea Monster. Yes, he's also in Destroy All Monsters. <laughs> uh, I worked with Godzilla, uh, but then again, I also did some interesting movies. I did the. Um, the Russian War and Peace that won the uh, oh. Academy Award that time. Uh, I did uh, Z. I oh, was, the Costa Gavras movie. I was cost, I was uh, Trantignon in Z. Oh, that's a good movie. Yes, I did. Uh, oh, a whole bunch of very good movies and some really lousy movies. We used to go <laughs> in there sometimes. There were like three actors, and we do all the parts. Just change the voice a little, you know. For an old man, you speak like this. For a young guy, you talk like this. <laughs> Always with an accent. One time, one time, what are, I, I, I was doing some picture in the morning, and they stuck their nose in and say, can you do a, uh, can you, somebody laugh for me? And I did a laugh, and they said, fine, Studio 7. And what it was was, now what was that movie? Remember, it was, the music was Mozart, a Danish picture. And it was about young people in, in love. And, and there was a whole sequence of laughter. And they just didn't like the laughter that the guy had done. So, uh, so I did all the laughter in, in the movie. And then the next day, it was a, 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 they used to take... Um, you know, foreign pictures where where the couple would go into the bedroom and the door would close, fade out. Mm-hmm. So they would go into hotel rooms and you'd see arms and legs, and 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 we'd do heavy breathing. <laughs> so I would heavy breathe one day and laugh the next day and be a have a Swedish accent the next day. It was um, <laughs> hey, kept me going. Kept me going and uh, till till something happened on Broadway for me. Yeah, it's the rare actor that never had to do you know odd jobs. Oh, or never yeah. waited on tables. tables. Never never drove a cab. I always yeah. kind of have to apologize to all my fellow actors because I know what they went through. <sighs> so what was what was the the official big break? Uh, How was it? Was it the bells are ringing with Judy Holiday? Bells are ringing. Bells are ringing was. Um, I was in some. I had just started. Basically, it was only my, th- I think, third year in the business. Uh, 
and uh, and it wasn't a, a full year, as I can tell you, but I had done a couple of seasons of summer stock. I was mm-hmm. in summer stock playing uh, character roles or anything I can get a hold of. I was uh, uh, going with a, a dancer on Broadway who was in Bells Are Ringing, and she heard that there was an opening for the understudy to the lead. Actually, he was a standby. There's a distinction. One has a reputation. The other is just a chorus member. Uh, and they were. it was about the second or third year of the show, and he was leaving. They wanted to go to an understudy, somebody to come into the chorus and understudy the lead. And she suggested me. I didn't even have an agent. So I drove into New York to audition for the stage manager just to get an audition for the casting person. And uh, after five or six auditions, I got the job. Uh, I, w- I was still, here was my career. That Saturday that I got the job, because uh, I had to audition between shows at the Schubert Theater for Judy, Judy Holiday. She had to okay me as the understudy. Oh, interesting. That day, I was a Ray Charles singer, uh, the other Ray Charles. <laughs> the, <laughs> Ray Charles used to be a, a, what, music arranger, singer, wonderful guy. Uh, and I was a Ray Charles singer on the Perry Como show, standing behind Perry going, ooh, 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 ooh. <laughs> and, and at a break, I ran over to the Schubert Theater, got my audition for Judy, got the job, came back. We shot the Como show. I got in my car, drove to Long Island, and played a bar mitzvah on the saxophone. <laughs> That's show business. Monday morning, I started rehearsal with a stage manager and a book. And um, Saturday, all week, we, we, he just gave me the staging. where We worked together all week. Saturday morning was first understudy rehearsal. And in the middle of it, he came out and said, keep rehearsing because you're on today. And I made a, my Broadway debut in the lead of a musical. Wow. wow. Replacing, was, was it Chaplin's son, Sidney Chaplin? Sidney Chaplin. Very charming, wonderful guy. Yeah. And, and you were once uh, hired to be like this stand-in. Always. And, the whole, that whole decade. Yeah. The 60s. I was the understudy or the standby. And Very you painful. were in luck because there was a play going on. Uh, he co- that was the beginning of Asian flu. It was the first Asian flu, and Sydney got it on a Saturday matinee. That was my Broadway debut, and I. Uh, that was also the last time, last club date I ever played as a saxophone player. Once I got into the theater, I put it away, and actually, I didn't touch it for about twenty years. Wow. Yeah. Till- uh, what? What? Go ahead. No, I was going to say till I was do, the, the next time I picked up the horn was in the seventies when uh, that was nineteen fifty eight. So it was in the seventies already, twenty years later, and uh, I was doing a um, Captain and Tennille special in in uh, this. I was Barney already, and we did a, a special in New Orleans. We were sitting around talking about what I was going to do on the show. I said, you know, New Orleans. I, I used to play the clarinet. I could probably get it together and, and, and do a little Dixieland. They got all excited. They the, the hired a Dixieland band, minus the clarinet player. Tony Tennille said, oh, I'll do a number with the group. 
went down to uh, New Orleans, rehearsed with the with the group. We came up with a number we could do. It was their arrangement that I joined in on. We got that next morning. We got to the uh, nightclub that they had hired and closed, blacked out the windows and pumped smoke all over the place to make it look exotic. And I started to get nervous because I hadn't been playing the horn for 20 years. I wasn't sure how this was going to go. Grabbed the, the group in the corner and we quickly ran through it. Okay, fine. Okay, we're going to shoot it. Got up on the stage and we did the number. It was perfect. Of course, the cameras weren't. So it was, uh, Hal, uh, we, we're going to have to do take two. We didn't know who was playing when. Okay, take two. Now we played it again. Fine. Really good. Uh, we're going to need a f- another take, Hal, to uh, take three, <laughs> take seven, take 12, take 19. Now we're going to change coverage. By this time, the embouchure is going south. I could hardly hold the clarinet in my mouth. These muscles are the muscles, you know, if you play all the time, that's fine. It's strong. But when you don't play, I could... By the time Tony got up to sing her song, I could barely make a sound. Air was coming out of my mouth. <laughs> we made it through, though, and and that experience got me back to playing the horn again. So I I look at it positively. That's great. After a 20-year layoff. 20 years layoff. Wow. Now, you brought the horn with you. You brought the clarinet with you. I got the horn with me. I thought, you know, I would make some noises that way would kind of uh, equal what the noises that Gilbert makes you know <laughs> he's very musical huh yes okay you want you want to sing the first part and I'll play the second part okay <laughs> what do you want to hear you got any requests I have a little oh, tip jar right here gosh gosh you got a tip well, I, what was your specialty in the uh, in the old days oh no then god knows <laughs> um I don't know what do do we have musical clearance? I don't dare. Oh yeah, we're we're good. We're good on that. Fantastic. <laughs> that was Hal Barney Miller Linden <laughs> you on clarinet. Only the second guest to serenade us on an instrument that we've had on this podcast. The other one was, you know, Dominic Chianese from the, from the Sopranos, uh, Hal? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, played his, came in here and played his guitar for us. Okay. That sounds wonderful. Wow. Still playing, I huh? Still plugging, still... We will return to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast after this. 
What are you playing for 70 years, you figure? Now? I joined More, the Musicians Union in 1945. Wow. Figure that out. That's 71 years ago. Wow. Well, as long as we're talking, too, about your Broadway career, and Gil, Gil will appreciate this, some of the people that, that Hal worked with on Broadway. First of all, tell us a little bit about what Judy Holiday was like. The most generous actress I've ever worked with. She was everything you didn't think of her. Judy was a ditzy blonde, the original ditzy blonde. Sure, sure, that's how she was. Uh, That's that's how she was was looked upon. First of all, she was brilliant. I remember I went on, you know, no rehearsal. I'd never rehearsed with her. So it was all... (laughs) And uh, I remember distinctly doing um, Just In Time. Just In Time comes from Bells Are Ringing. Sure. And it was done uh, stage left to stage right, in one, in front of a park drop. Ostensibly, we were going to a party, and I just take her in my arms and start singing in her ear as we danced across the stage. And I, I, I took her in my arms and did just that. I started singing in her ear, just in time. I found you just in time. And all of a sudden, I felt my back, her hand on my back, twisting me. <laughs> so we're now dancing kind of this way. But I was facing the audience. I hadn't even thought about it. I was just singing oh, in her ear. That's great. She turned wow. you to the audience. She turned me to the audience so that we could, it was a little awkward dancing, but the audience could hear what I was singing. Because in those days, we didn't have microphones in our hair. You know what I mean? You had to be able to. That, she was that, funny. That was, that was the, the quintessential Judy Holiday. She knew that the important thing of that moment was for me to be able to, for the audience to be able to hear me do that. It was generous. And wasn't, generous her, real, wasn't her real name something like Judy Yontif? No, 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 close. Tuvim, yeah. T-U-V-I-M. Yeah. Which, uh, Yom Tov, Tuv, Tuvim. Tuvim is plural for, of Tov. Yes. Uh, Ju- and that's Holiday. Yeah. Hence Holiday. Oh, that's how she, and as long as we're talking about names, tell us how, how, uh, uh, Harold Lipschitz became, became Harold Lipschitz. <laughs> <laughs> Before I forget that one. I was doing a Christmas gig. I was still in high school. And Christmas, we got a job in Lakewood, New Jersey. Remember, that used to be a resort town in New Jersey. I don't know if it still may be. I have no idea. And um, about to graduate high school, about to go to college, and I wanted to change my name between high school and college. I, I had this career all planned out to be, I was going to play the Paramount Capitol. Remember when the big bands were there? And um, we went through Linda, New Jersey, and there was a gas storage tank. You know those tanks that are when they're when they're full, they're all the way oh, up. Sure, and, sure. And when this one was full, and the name Linden was in about seven story letters. <laughs> so I said, "I'll start with Big Billing," and that's how I got the name Linden. That's and you got to keep your initials. I, well, I it was going to be an L name, yeah. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Now, now, going back to Broadway, just for a second, one of your favorite actors, uh, uh, Gil, Jack Guilford. 
Oh my God! Yeah, you worked with the him. Three best. three men and a horse. Three men and a horse. The best. You know, uh, when Jack Sue died, we did a memorial program to Jack, uh, and each one of us got to speak about how we felt about Jack. Now Jack had been in a uh, internment camp in yeah. Utah. He was really Japanese, not Chinese at all. He took a Chinese name because he yeah. was not very, you couldn't have a career with a Japanese name. And, I, and the thing I said about Jack was that, Jack Sue, was that it never turned him bitter. A lot of people who went through that became bitter, a lot of animosity. Jack dealt with it with humor. Jack was loving and, and, and dealt with all of his, all the difficulties with his wonderful sense of humor. And that was Jack Guilford too. Read about all the people who were blacklisted. Oh yeah, Some we, who, just had, we just had Lee Grant on this show. Well, Lee, yeah. yeah. Uh, but all the people who um, became bitter, embittered by, by what, uh, what the blacklist did to them. Jack, Jack was open and loving. He didn't have animosity for anyone. I'll never forget on on stage in um, in Three Men on a Horse. We were working with Sam Levine. Sam Levine was kind of a tough guy to work with because he had he was the original on that show. He he knew every line in the show. He had directed it fifty times in summer stock. Uh, you know, and when we started doing, I decided to do it on Broadway. Uh, George Abbott was the director uh, who hired me to play a part that was I probably wasn't right for, but it was a nice stretch as an actor. I really wanted to try it, and Abbott was a big fan of mine. He hired me. I don't think Sam ever like the fact that I was playing a part that should have been played by, let's say, Maxie Rosenblum, you know. <laughs> Slapsy Maxie. Slap, you know, that's who should have been playing the part. And here was this young guy, I was a leading man at the time. And I remember in performance once, I inverted a line accidentally. I don't remember what the line was, but it was, uh, hey, hey Sam, such and such, or it's, and I said such and such, Sam, or you know, just inverted it. Nothing really important. And Sam Levine got really angry on stage at me for doing that, and kind of looked at me with daggers in his eyes and said <laughs> his next line like I had just done something on stage. You know what I mean? <laughs> and I had no more lines. I just kind of took it and. Jack had the next line, and he walked up to Sam and did it right in Sam's face, like as if saying, how dare you do that to a fellow actor? You know, <laughs> this was going on on stage. There was a scene about something else. I don't know what the audience that felt, but there was Jack Guilford saying, you can't do that to your fellow actors. You respect, you know, wonderful, wonderful man. Everybody we've had on this show knew Jack Guilford. Uh, yeah. I think Josh Mustel knew him as a oh, kid, too. Oh, of and course. Everybody had lovely things to say about uh, him. Just a darling man, darling man. 
Did you also work with, uh, Gilbert and I are fond of Eddie Lawrence, the old philosopher. Oh, Eddie my was God, in, yes. Eddie was in Bells Are Ringing. Right. Eddie was in Bells Are Ringing, yes. A real character. A real character, an artist, too, you know. Yeah. He was a painter. What's the matter, Can- Bunky? Oh, yeah. Can you do an imitation no. of... <laughs> I don't do imitations. Yeah. Now, I remember he would come out with those records. Yeah, and sure. sure. In those he days. Say a dog ran away from home. Is that what's bothering you, Bunky? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> commercials like that. Oh, yeah. 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 He was hysterical. And you worked with Cab Calloway. Cab Calloway. <laughs> That was interesting. <laughs> no, I, 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 cab was in, let me put it this way, Cab was Cab. Uh-huh. Uh, he was playing the time study man in... in uh, was, it, was that Pajama Game? Pajama Game, right. Yeah. Uh, it was a very interesting uh, time study man, <laughs> but it was Cab Calloway, you know, which was fine, you know. But Cab had... Uh, People who spend their life in the theater learn a discipline. You become disciplined. The most important thing is what you're doing, not yourself. It's always what you're doing and how you fit into the play. And a lot of people who come into the theater think they're going to bring their own personalities and it works out. It sometimes does, but sometimes it's outside the the scope of what the play should be about. He seemed like an interesting guy, Cab Calloway. I was doing research on it. He, he apparently fired Dizzy Gillespie from his I, band because he I thought couldn't. he was mocking him. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that. It's like an Arthur Godfrey move. <laughs> <laughs> yes. yes. Yeah. Talk about Dizzy while you're at it. Yeah. When I was about 16, I went to see Dizzy in, uh, on 52nd Street. I don't think we were allowed in the place. I was only 16, but we would buy a beer and stand at the bar and stand there with one beer for four hours and watch Dizzy and Bird and, you know, Coleman Hawkins, whoever. Oh, you saw all these guys. Oh, yeah. That's great. Well, that was, you know, as a kid who really wanted to be a part of it, that was a big thing for me. And I remember specifically, I'm standing there, Four hours with a hot beer in my hand. It was, yeah. and the bartender kept saying, "How you doing?" You know, I said, "Oh, I'm, I'm fine. I'm, <laughs> I can only afford the seventy-five cents. That was it for the one beer." But I got to hear four hours of music, and I remember Dizzy took a break, and he was coming. You remember those those uh, clubs on Fifty Second Street? It was only about twelve feet wide, the whole building, so there was only a little room for them to walk out because I was four deep at the bar, and as Dizzy came by, I I said, hey, Diz. (laughs) And he stopped and took my hand. He said, hey, man, great to see you. Like he knew me, you know. (laughs) A 16-year-old kid who's, uh, yeah, I was, and that stayed with me. That moment that he, you know, reached out to, to welcome me. How many years later? It's now the Kennedy Center Honors, and I'm one of the honoree uh, 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 people, you know, on, in the show. And Dizzy was uh, honored 
as one of the Kennedy Center honorees. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And when I walked out of the elevator, the first night is a, uh, uh, a dinner, the Saturday night before the show is a dinner at the State Department dining room. That's where they actually give the awards. And I walked out of the elevator, and there was Dizzy. He was, by now, he was in a wheelchair. I don't remember what year it was, which I guess shortly before he died. And I went over to Diz, and now he got all excited because he recognized Barney Miller. <laughs> ah. He said, hey, man. He was most effusive, wonderful, outgoing. Hey, man. How's you? God, it's nice to see you. I'm so glad to meet you. I said, Diz, we met. And I told him about that night when I was 16 years old, and it was this incredible talent stopping to validate me. Terrific guy. How great that you hung on to that story, that you never forgot it. Oh, well, 16 years old, you don't forget too much. Yeah. <laughs> forget the good stuff. You, you remember the good stuff and the bad stuff, right? <laughs> Yeah. Gil, you'll appreciate this. One of one of uh, Hal's early acting roles was a small part on Car 54, Where Are You? Right. Oh, my God. Yes. I love that show. They shot it in the Bronx. You know that? Yes. Yeah, we had Hank Garrett here. Yes. Hank Garrett and, and Charlotte, Charlotte Ray. Charlotte, dear Charlotte. Yeah. Uh, they shot it in the Bronx. I think I played a district attorney or something. It was, it was uh, the fun, well, Gilbert will know the episode. It was a, the phony <laughs> marriage service episode. Oh, was this with Molly Pecan? Molly Pecan. Yeah, Molly yes. Pecan. Very good. Right. Yeah, she was always claiming she could fix people up with major movie stars. <laughs> That's like, right. Like, like, like Charles Boyer right. <laughs> and Eddie Fisher. That's it. <laughs> that. We do deep research on this show, Hal. That's a. Yeah, that's a that one I didn't recall, but now that you remember it, I <laughs> And you brought up Jack Sue, which is the perfect segue yeah. to talk about Barney Miller. Did you know that Jack Sue was in an internment camp? No. Too, like George Takei? No. Uh, his and real name was Goro Suzuki. Suzuki, yeah. Suzuki. I, I heard around the time that um, Barney Miller was on the air, they asked police, because there were a lot of cop shows, you know, it's screeching tires and mm-hmm. guns firing Down and the car alley. chases. And, and you know, Barney Miller was basically these schlubby guys sitting around the precinct. Filling out papers. And, <laughs> yeah, a lot and, of paperwork. And, and they were talking. They asked a bunch of police what the most realistic show about police work was. And they all picked Barney Miller. Uh, so did... Um Wombo, Joe Wombo, who oh, wrote yeah. the yeah. police novels. Blue Knight, yeah. Uh, Onion Field. Yeah, sure. Those. He said not only was it the best police show, but it was the most authentic. And the logic is this. Ask a police officer, uh, particularly a, 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 a um, detective, ask a detective how many times have you fired your weapon in anger? Yes, they go to the range and they shoot target practice. But how many times have you fired your weapon in anger? I've asked many detectives that. And they said, once or never. I think the biggest answer was twice. You watch, you know, TV cop shows, they're firing off rounds like crazy. Right, sure. Most police work, most detective work, 
is grunt work. It's gathering information, recording the information, disseminating the information, getting other people's information, trying to put it together. Paperwork. That's most, most of police work. So that's why they said this was the accurate picture of a police detective squad room. Jack Sue, by the way, I, I found this too in my research, did not know that he called himself the Chinese Bing Crosby. Yes, he did. <laughs> Chinese Bing Crosby. Jack was a singer. Yes. Jack was wow. a singer. He did uh, Flower Drum Song, the movie. That's, well, he did Flower Drum Song, right. yeah. Jack yeah. was a singer. He, that's the way he built himself, the Chinese Bing Crosby. Isn't that that's great? An attempt to, <laughs> to get work. <laughs> and that's he where, went way back with Danny Arnold. With Dan, I was going to say, that's, they, they toured American Legion posts and bars all through right. the Midwest together. And that's where they became friendly. So when, uh, when they were both in Hollywood in the 60s and 70s, Danny, Danny had used him before on, a, on, a, on something he did. And then when uh, we, he did Barney, he brought him back for Barney. What a funny guy, Jack Sue. Oh, he had he had that great deadpan. Oh yeah. Master of deadpan. Yeah. Remember on the odd couple as the wrestler? Oh my god, yes. <laughs> right, and and lots of mash. Very funny guy. Yeah. And another guy who I knew from the comedy clubs, and that was Steve Landisberg. Steve, Steve came originally on the show uh as a a perp. He was originally, uh, he played Oh, a, he was the phony priest. Phony priest. He came <laughs> right, and right. used to steal uh, um, uh, Gideon Bibles from hotel rooms and stand on street corners and uh, hawk them for donations. That was, he was the phony priest. I'll never forget, uh, the, the thing in, in that show was that um, there was a guy who was going to blow himself up in the police station. And... Uh, but he wanted absolutely. He saw the priest. He wanted absolution before he did it. <laughs> he wanted to so he came over to Steve, and Steve said, "You got it. <laughs> you got it." <laughs> yeah. How well did you know Landisberg, Gil? He's a funny guy. Oh, yeah, not not well, but he was nice to me. He said he was a fan of mine. That's so nice. I always remembered him. <laughs> That's and, nice. And, he, and the interesting thing about Steve, if you ever seen his act, he had an act as nutty as yours. He was wild. His his stuff was really over the top and out of out of space. When he came on the show, and he had to play a part of an intellectual, you saw the other side of Steve Landisberg. You saw the actor. Yeah, so the actor. I remember he had a, he had a bit about Jewish country singers. Oh, he did. Oh, all kinds of crazy <laughs> things. Really wild. Yeah, yeah. He did a lot of voices. I remember in his act. Funny, yes. funny man. Funny. And and of course our favorite here, and that's Abe Vigoda. Vigoda, the late great Abe, who we both worked. We all three of us worked with him. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I had actually worked with Abe on a commercial about 10 years before. We both got, neither one of us was doing very well, and we got uh, a, a gig on a commercial. No lines, just pushing a car or something. I don't even remember what it was. That's the first time I met Abe. But we worked Didn't on he? Broadway together. Uh, not together, but in uh, I had seen him on Broadway in, a, in shows, and he saw me on Broadway, so we yeah. had that behind us. 
the, we were the first two people hired. And I remember going out to, um, when we did the pilot. Oh, you're the, the only two holdovers from the original from pilot. From the original pilot, right. Yeah. But we were the first two hired. And we, uh, Abe always looked like he was about to die. <laughs> right? <laughs> and the press agent, the press agent uh, wanted to do a, a, a some kind of whole press thing. He said, we're going to a, a gym. You can work out together. We'll get pictures of you on on the uh treadmills next to each other and whatnot and we did all the all the equipment and they took pictures and then abe said i see they got a uh handball court an indoor four ball four wall handball you want to play some handball i hadn't you know i thought but now i was 41 at the time abe as i said looked like 112 <laughs> I said, "Sure, we'll play." He beat—he destroyed me. Abe was a, was a handball player. You know, they have those handball courts down yeah. in, the, in the village. Yeah, sure. That's where Abe—he was one of those guys. He played handball. He killed me. I couldn't—I could not keep up with him. Well, he was a runner. Was yeah. he? I don't. I don't he know. ran his whole life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, in fact, there's a story, and I hope it's a true story that he w- he went to the audition with Danny Arnold in his jogging shorts. He could very well. He went straight. <laughs> he went straight from a run, and Danny said, "You look tired," and gave him the part. <laughs> Actually, you know, he he went up for a different part. That I know. Oh, he did. Yes, there before Jack sat at that desk. There was in the original pilot. There was a character with an Italian name who sat at that desk. And Abe went up for that part because he has just just come off The Godfather where he had the uh. big thing with the, you know, the mafia. So he went up for that part. And Danny saw him and said, no, I think I got an idea for you. <laughs> and created Fish. And it's funny to think when you talk to Abe in real life that he was nothing. It showed what a good actor he was. That he was nothing at all like Tessio and the Godfather. Oh, no, no, nothing. No, he was closer to Fish <laughs> than oh, to Tessio. Yeah. Yes. No, 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 no. Tessio was, uh, was, that was acting. That was acting. That was not Abe at all. I, I read, and I hope this one's true too, and I don't know. We'd have to, we, we know Abe's daughter Does a little it? bit. Maybe we can ask yeah. her. But he was considered for the monster in Young Frankenstein. Oh. Have you heard that, Hal? That I don't know. I have yeah. no idea. Well, it's pretty interesting now, trivia. This is, true. this is interesting because he wound up playing the Boris Carlo. Oh, an arsenic and old yes. lace on Broadway. Right, yeah. right, yeah. right, 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 right. And also the t- and, and Jack Guilford was Dr. Einstein. <laughs> really? Yes. Yes. Yeah. I saw a version where Larry Storch was Dr. Einstein. Oh, wow. With, uh, with Abe. Yeah. A versatile actor. And very, very funny. Very, and, very dry. And talk about a deadpan. Very dry. Very dry yeah. funny. And there's there's great YouTube video of you at his 90th, Hal. I happened to be in the neighborhood. <laughs> I'm serious. I wouldn't. I wasn't invited. Or Somebody said, do you know that Ava Goda's 90th birthday party is right down the street in that hotel? I said, you're kidding me. And we went over there and I walked in on him. He didn't. He, I wasn't invited. I did, he didn't even know I was in town. And wow. I and I walked in and uh, it was just 
It's kind of nice. Kind of nice. So much stuff I found about the show. Obviously, Gilbert and I both watched the show. A wonderful oh, yes. show. I mean, it's such a smart sitcom and a show that never insulted your intelligence. I didn't know that Danny Arnold loosely based the show or designed it on the movie and the play Detective Story. Detective Story. Yes, Did you know that? Told Kirk me. Douglas. Yeah, well, Detective Story was a drama. Right. In which there were, it took place in the detective squad room. Different desks, three different stories going on at the same time of people being questioned by detectives and whatnot. And then I think one of them grabs a gun and it turns into a tragedy at the end. It was, you know, a very heavy show. But Danny saw the possibility as he was looking at this. He said, instead of comedy, the drama, drama, why don't we do comedy right in the same place? And that's... Uh, he put that together. And the story of how you got cast is also an odd story <laughs> <laughs> that, that involves a fair amount of coincidence. Um, my career has involved a fair amount of coincidence. <laughs> <I think laughs> uh, not the least of which was, you know, bells are ringing. I mean, uh, I didn't even have an agent. I was never presented for it. I just... Happened to know the girl in the show. And by the way, I ended up marrying her. So it was okay. Right. Right. 52 years. Anyway, um, Danny was in town. He, was, uh, he had written and was co-producing a, a movie. I don't remember what movie it was. And it was over Christmas. And I think his, his wife sent his two kids during their Christmas break to be with him. And because he was uh, kind of on set all the time uh, trying to shoot this picture, he said, let's keep the kids busy by day and I'll, uh, I'll, I'll spend the evening with them. And uh, so they put him in a, in a limousine and they took, put him on a ship to go on a trip around Manhattan or they sent him to a Nick game or to a, whatever they could to keep the kids busy. And fi- they, res- they finally kind of uh, rebelled. They said... We don't want to go anywhere. We just spend the day with you. And he said, I don't have time. Just then, it was a company move. It was a full set move, going from one location to another. That takes a long time. So the director said, go with your kids, spend the day with your kids. And they happened to have tickets for the Rothschilds. So he went and got another ticket and joined them to see the Rothschilds. Never sent, never came backstage, didn't say hello, didn't send me a note. Nothing. I didn't know the you, name. You had no knowledge that he was didn't even there. Didn't know he existed until two years later when they were uh, casting Barney Miller, and the network, you know, comes up with it's a list of ten for each role that they think whoever has the highest TVQ. Or, <laughs> and uh, Danny said, "No, no, no. I saw an actor in New York. I'm going to use him." And that was it. I never auditioned for it. I never. He just saw me do that one role, and knew that I would be right for Barney Miller. And you were totally an unknown actor as far well, as TV. Uh, no, no, not quite unknown. I yeah. had won a Tony on Broadway. Yeah, I but was, on as far as TV was concerned, TV. Yeah. I had been on TV before, but, you know, guest roles, things like that. Certainly not to have my own series, no. I, I heard a story. Uh, I know it's Richard Belzer because he was on Law & Order yes. for all those years. <laughs> That a lot He's of still times a when, <laughs> yeah, what 
He's still on Law and Order for oh, yeah. <laughs> and reruns. He'll be there forever. And reruns. Yeah. He'll be there forever. When he needed a cab, he would sometimes hail down a police car. Police car. And <laughs> and they would see him. They they think, oh, a fellow cop. Did did that happen with yes, you a lot? It did. Not a lot. One time that I can recall, and it had to do with the. Uh, we got into a. I come to New York. We got to a hotel. Our, our clothes didn't arrive. Our, our baggage didn't arrive, and I had to be somewhere in a tuxedo that night. So by the time the clothes came and we got to the tuxedo, we ran out of the hotel, looking for cabs like crazy. A, 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 a cop car came by and said, "Captain, can we help you?" <laughs> I said, as a matter of That's fact, fantastic. I've got to be at the Majestic Theater in, in six minutes. He said, hop in. And we got into the, to the cop car and they drove me to the theater. That's the one time <laughs> it happened. Yeah. Did, did, uh, we, we touched on this briefly, Hal, but did, did cops approach you? Did they, did they, 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 they like the show, or yeah. generally speaking? They, they identified with it. I think yeah. that's the point. They identified what we were doing because that's what detectives do. And... Mm-hmm. Uh, I have honorary badges from police departments all over America and Canada. <laughs> yeah, they were, yeah, they they identified with it. So it was it was uh, police work is a lot more like Barney Miller than T.J. Hooker and Easily. shows like that. Oh yes, oh yes. Now now I'm not talking about beat cops. Beat cops is a different life. Beat cops have to go out there and and deal with the with the public and you know walk walk a beat. I'm to, or you know or drive around in a in a black and white. I'm talking about detectives. The work that detectives do is mainly paperwork, grunt work, getting information from people. Yeah. And tell us a little bit about uh, about uh, James Gregory, an actor that Gilbert and I are very fond of. Jimmy. Detective Luger. And and also um, Planet of the oh, Apes. Oh, he's in Beneath the yes. Planet of the Apes. He <laughs> sure is. Inspector Luger. Inspector Luger, sorry. Inspector yeah. Luger. Jimmy Gregory had an enormous career in Hollywood from the 30s on. He was a, Oh, he's in everything. He was in everything. He was everybody's senator or a yeah. judge. Manchurian candidate. Or, or Exactly. Yeah. But he never did comedy. Look at all his pictures. He never did comedy. I guess he knew Danny, and Danny knew his proclivity for comedy. And <laughs> and Jimmy would come in to every show totally prepared. He had made all his actor decisions. You know, we were still, listen, let's try it this way. How about that? What do you think? I, You know, the character needs this, etc. We were really... Uh, 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 a repertory theater interacting and everything Jimmy had every bit down from the bow tie to the to every, not only every word but every every and he kind of smiled at us at the <laughs> Nishigas we would go through to create you know that's the way we worked and that's the way Jimmy worked there was a big generational difference and then Jimmy, you guys got were a, fun together. How's that? You guys were a fun duo. Yes, it, it was a lovely yeah. relationship. Yeah, uh, and then a fun Jimmy, dynamic. I, I don't know if you remember this, but Jimmy got his own show from Barney Miller. 
It was called Detective School. Oh, I don't remember oh, that. Do I don't think you ever that? saw it. If it was hey? on, it was on and off very quickly. Well, <laughs> well we're usually pretty good at this stuff. This now. was the point. This was the point. He was the detect the teacher how to be a detective, and they hired, I don't know, six stand-up comics. Young kids right out of the comedy store, right out of Wow. And they were gonna be his foils, you know, he would be the the Barney Miller of that show with all these crazy comics. But they were comics. They weren't actors. Oh. One night, we were notoriously late. We would always shoot late on on the on the last day of shooting. It was always like two o'clock in the morning. And in comes Jimmy. He wasn't. He was doing his show. And. <laughs> Maybe he had a couple. You know, he, he was nice and loose. And, hey, Jim, you know, and everybody, we hadn't seen him the whole season because he was off doing his show. Hey, what, what brings you here? He looked at us. He said, I just wanted to watch some actors work. Oh, wow. That's great. Wow, love, indeed, for all love of us. Love that. Yeah. Yeah. I think he's in the Twilight Zone pilot, James Gregory. We'll double he, we'll double check that. I think he's in the first the first Twilight Zone. You know what's fun about one of the things that's fun about Barney Miller, Hal, uh, is is just going back and and looking at all those wonderful character actors. Yeah. I mean, not only the main cast, but I mean here is just a short list: Bruce Kirby, Richard Libertini, Nehemiah Persoff, Ned Glass, William Wyndham, uh, actors we talk about on this show, Bob Dishy. Wow! What about what about uh, uh, Back to the Future? What's his name? Uh, uh, oh, Christopher Lloyd. Christopher Lloyd, right? Uh, uh, Kenneth Mars was on Kenny it. Mars. Phil Leeds. Phil Leeds. Oh, oh Philly yes. was there all the time. <laughs> yeah. Don Calfa. De- well, Don Calfa, I think, holds the record. Don Calfa, I think, did seven Barney Millers as seven different crazy people. <laughs> <laughs> Funny guy. Well, Don was, you know, that kind of bug-eyed and and nutty and he played s- seven different characters danny danny didn't care danny didn't care that your guy would reappear as somebody else it was next season don't worry about it you know it was yeah, last season to, that was funny in in old tv uh they could use the same actor playing 20 different parts sure sure that was danny's listen he's funny he's good i know i can count on him hire him yeah, Danny, the more you read about Danny, he's kind of like a modern-day uh, Nat Hike, and he really had an eye for talent, an eye for characters. Closest, you know, he wrote the, he wrote the Caddy. The closest, oh, wow. Martin and Lewis movie. And, closest thing I know to a comedic genius was Danny Really? Arnold. Yeah. Because, and, and he knew how to use people. And he knew, the point, I'm, the point is he knew construction. Yeah. A lot of great, funny people don't understand construction. So they're funny in the instance, in in the instant, but not. They can't sustain it. That's the hard part. Danny knew construction, and he knew limitations. You will notice he had some funny people playing cops: Abe, uh, Steve, Ron Carey, Ron Carey. Yeah, but he had a frame around all of them. He said, "The." The question to ask yourself before you make an acting choice is, 
Would you go to this police officer for help who acted the way you want to act? Because we come up with funny, you know, Ronnie Carey would come up with funny. Landisberg, you could think of, you know, funny people, and they come up with funny bits. But it had to, had to answer that question. Would you go to a police officer who behaved like that for help? That was the limitation that he placed on. Now, the, 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 people, the, the perps or the people who got ripped off, they could be as nutty as, as you want because there were no limitations on that. But the police right. officers had to be credible police officers. And, and that knowledge, that structure that he forced on us is what gave the, the, the why the cops uh, identified with it. Because they so were, kept, always had to be a credible police officer. It kept it away from becoming shtick. Shtick, yeah. They were shtick, but that was yeah. on, the, on the other side of the table. Some of the people who came in, Don Kalfa could do crazy shtick, you know. All these people were able to, not, not as shtick, but to make it a part of their character. Uh, they could do it, but not the cops. Cops had to be credible. I've also heard you say that he would cut a laugh Oh, we, if it, he if cut, it, if it he hurt cut, the scene or if it made the scene less believable. Not only that, the point is it was never straight line punchline. Right. It wasn't that kind of show. No, it was not straight line yeah. punchline. It was uh, character comedy. Yeah. And so uh, I, many times um, uh, a character would say something and Wojo would look at him and, and, you know, maybe he'd have a retort. But once he shot it, all you, all you had to do was cut to Wojo and he would kind of look. That was enough. You didn't need the line. Yeah. You didn't need the retort. You didn't need... He recognized that that we were doing character comedy, not straight-line punchline comedy. And did you work with Nehemiah Persoff? Oh, sure. What oh, was yeah. he like? The, you know, consummate professional. Nehemiah came in. He always played... Uh, well, I, I recall... <laughs> he played a religious Jewish diamond dealer who got ripped off. <laughs> you got a good memory for these episodes. Oh, Al. yes. Because this one I remember specifically. And, and you know, you, he came in and he, uh, I, I, my question was, what are you doing walking around with thousands of dollars of diamonds in your pocket? He looked at me and says, it's the way it's always been done. Tradition. <laughs> <laughs> Any minute he was going to break into song. <laughs> it was just... It wasn't a question of trying to be funny. It was a question of being good actors. They were all good, good actors who just dug into that cat part and found that motherload of humor in this situation. If you go to the IMDb page for the Barney Miller show, and it's a little bit like the love boat in that sense, because you guys were on what, seven seasons, eight seasons, uh, eight seasons, eight seasons. So everybody came through there. And if you go down the, the list on IMDb and you look at those actors, it's, it's a who's who, Yeah, not just comedic actors, but 
you know, people Good. like Nehemiah Purcell, yeah. Oh, yeah. just Great every character kind actor. of character actor of the 20th well, Nicky, century Nicky did that show. Nicky wasn't a comedic actor. He was just a good actor, but he understood where the comedy was and how to, how to, how to achieve it by playing right. it properly. Right. And we have to give credit, too, to Max Gale and Ron, the great Ron Glass and Gregory Sierra Max, and Barbara Barry. Max Gale, you know, the original in the first pilot was, a, was, a, was named Kaczynski. And uh, when Max came in, they gave him the name Wojciechowicz. And honestly, truthfully, it was supposed to be a kind of a Polish joke. That was popular in those days. He was supposed to be the kind of slowish guy who didn't quite get everything. But Max took it and ran with it. So he became the guy who had to learn everything. He had to investigate everything. <laughs> had to dig deeper than everybody. You know what I mean? He yeah. used that, and it's, it, it, was, it never became a Polish joke after that. So I think it, to Danny Arnold's credit, he never played to the stereotype. He no. always played, certainly in always. Harris and Ron Glass's uh, right. character's case. Always, right, the intellectual. He was writing a novel. Writing and a novel. He, was, right. he was very, yeah. He, always. A social climber. Right. Yeah. Very, very, very smart show. And, and, and why did it finally end, uh, uh, Hal? Because I've heard you say it was never canceled. It was never canceled. It was... Um, the next, the last season, Danny wanted to uh, cancel it one season earlier. Uh, the problem with sitcoms, especially in those days, I don't know about today, probably the same thing, they're self-devouring. We had, what, maybe six, five or six writing sources. By that I mean a writer or a team, whatever, Five, five or six different writing sources, one through six. The top one was, you know, an associate producer. Well, as soon as your show was a hit, the agent of teams one and two is out trying to get them to be number one of their own, you know, getting their own property. So you're constantly losing from right. the top down and you're moving the people up finding new writers next season you got to move them up and find new three new writing sources and that became difficult for Danny um, as time went on everybody was writing another version of a Barney Miller they had seen you know all the new writers sure. and sure. Danny came to us uh, and he was going to as I say cancel it a year earlier because he'd he didn't want to lose the quality of the show. And uh, for some reason, I guess there were contractual th reasons he couldn't. So he really suffered through the last season. Uh, that was the first season that I ever rejected a script because it was funny but wrong. It wasn't Barney. Mm -hmm. And I, I just brought it up to him. I said, you sure you want to do this one? And he read it through. He canceled the week and we went on did something else the next week um it was tough danny said i am going to accept uh i'm going to read everybody anybody who who wants to send me a bonnie miller script or or anything i'm going to read it i'm going to take a month and read everything college kids anybody in order to find 
new concepts, new ideas, new approaches for the play, for the show. He came back a, a month later and said, uh, it's enough, guys. I don't want to do less than the best. Sure. And he just closed it. What's well, the mark of a good show that kind of knows when to, to get out early rather than late? Yeah. Yeah, there's been so many of those shows that... Eventually, they're doing imitations of themselves. Yes. Or worse yet, they, they get they get self-serious. They start to do the... Uh, <laughs> yeah. They start to... Inspirational. To the, the inspirational episode yes. and the, <laughs> the teen pregnancy <laughs> episode. <laughs> and right. they start to have the closing credits with no music <laughs> to let you know you've right. seen something really important. A very important. special Barney really Miller. <laughs> so, so we have to ask... Uh, uh, Hal, because our uh, our listeners demand it, does does uh, does Barney Miller have a favorite Barney Miller episode? Um, I know it's like picking a favorite child, but right. The I think the quintessential Barney Miller, everybody agrees on, was the hash brownies. The hash brownies, yeah. yeah I knew you'd pick that one. <laughs> uh, that is great. Everybody has a great moment. In everybody's that one, at least got an one. aria. Yeah, and you know, we we read the thing, and after the. Reading, I said to Danny, I said, everybody's got an aria. Everybody's got a moment. Yeah, it was great. Except me. (laughs) (laughs) And he looked at me and he said, you're right, but I got to have somebody to compare them to. I had to be. And from there on, I knew that's it. I'm not going to have too many (laughs) punchlines. I'm the straight man here. (laughs) Uh, But... uh, Jack Benny did a, a, a made a career being a straight man. Oh sure, you know. Ah. So, I, I, no kick after that. I, I knew my function. Well, we've talked about straight men on this show. Oh, the yeah. under underrated straight men. Oh, like Bud Abbott. Like Bud Abbott. Bud Abbott. Fantastic. When you really watch, go back and watch those bits. Yeah. And well, here you are for eight years playing a straight man to all of these. Carl Reiner. These, these loons. Carl Reiner with. Uh, Doing all that. Uh, oh, Carl Reiner. You know, the great Reiner. example. Yeah. A great example. It's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about uh, just a couple of things, a couple of wild cards here. Uh, you you have any memory? Gilbert and I talk about Bob Hope specials on this show. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any memory of doing Bob Hope yes. Lampoon's television with George Burns? Was and I Hope? on it? You sure were. Okay. With Mr. T. <laughs> <laughs> The thing, the thing I that got me with all of those shows, quite honestly, was um, reliance on cue cards. Uh-huh. Bob read everything, you know, and you're you're working with an actor, and you're looking right at him, and saying your lines, and he's looking over your shoulder and talking to you over here. You know what I mean? <laughs> Very difficult. Uh, Bob read everything. I'll tell you a quick Bob Hope story. Uh, he had he has the had the uh, golf tournament down the desert, the Bob Hope uh-huh. Classic, and every year I used to do it. And every year, you know, in all those golf tournaments, you had to sing for your supper because he had the show, and he said, "Listen, do a number." So um, <laughs> I ac- actually uh, one year I get I get down there, uh, and he said, "Do you mind opening the show?" I was going to do a clarinet number. I said, hey, perfect, good, great opening number. I, I was terrific. Let <laughs> me get out early and go home. 
And uh, we start the show. He goes out and he does a couple of jokes. And right in the middle of it, there's a scream, a thud. Turn the lights on. Lights. Somebody fell off his chair. He's lying on the floor. And they're pounding on his chest. And Bob is saying, okay, everybody, take it easy. Well, we have doctors here. We'll take care of this. Don't worry about it. I'm sure he's going to be fine. I don't know how long this went on till the door opens. Here comes a gurney. And Hope is, do- is trying to calm everybody down. They pick the guy up. They put him on the gurney. And they wheel him out the door. And as the door is closing, Hope says, okay, everybody, let's settle down and welcome Hal Linden. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! And as I'm walking on, and as he's pack, he's walking off. He says, "I owe you one, kid." <laughs> That's showbiz history, Hal. To, 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 to have done a Bob Hope special. Oh yes, <laughs> with Burns. Yeah. Here's some other wild remember, cards. I don't remember uh, dealing. I don't remember dealing with. Uh, Oh, he's he's supposedly he on that on one. Maybe you guys did shot separately. Shoot. Yeah, yeah. Do you want to tell us a little bit about working with Walter Matthau and Jack Lemon and Out to Sea and Donald O'Connor and Donald O'Connor? I'll tell you a Donald O'Connor story. <laughs> We're all ears. Oh, <laughs> got me. Uh, we played dance instructors on a boat. Yeah, and um, Out to Sea. You know that one? Oh Gil. yeah, yeah. 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 Um, You know, uh, Matthau and Lemon, I just sat in awe and watched them work. They were the top, to, you know, when it came to that kind of, of, of picture, they were they were the top grade. I just watched them work. Donald O'Connor and I were, you know, playing these other dance instructors. And there was a number, they were, the Macarena was popular at the time. So they put a, <laughs> they put a Macarena scene in where we're teaching we're doing the Macarena with the people on the boat the old ladies are dancing with us one. Donald O'Connor couldn't get the steps for the Macarena. Wow. <laughs> I was teaching Donald O'Connor how to do the Macarena. <laughs> oh. I'm saying, am I living in another world here? <laughs> That's surreal. There's, there's, there's a lot of fun stuff here, Hal. Uh, what about? Uh, tell you, us a little bit about. When you've been around Black- as long as I have, list <laughs> <laughs> well, gets you're one of those guests that's done everything and worked with everybody. <laughs> yeah. Tell us a little bit about Black's Magic, which was the series you did with the great Harry, Harry Morgan. Morgan. Harry Morgan played my father. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Do you remember this show, Gil? I have vague. How was a magician, yes. like a Blackstone yes. kind of magician, magician, and Harry Morgan was a con artist? Well, he wasn't a con artist. Wasn't he, he a con man? No. Or a, or a- I, no. He was very, no, he was a uh, po- positive character. Uh, I had um, uh, uh, morphed from magic into uh, solving crimes. Oh, okay. <laughs> so it was... It was it was crime solving using magic techniques. That was I it. see. That was like the, the Bill Bixby show. Yeah, I was just going to say something. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah I guess. <laughs> um, Levinson and Link were one of them was a magic fan, and that's how that sta- started. 
yeah. Colombo. But prayers, working yeah. working with Harry was a joy. He was just another dear man, another dear man without an agenda, just a happy, nice guy. Yeah. Where do you want to go with this, Gil? There's so much here. Oh God. <laughs> uh, Hit me with your best let's shot. See. What's that? Hit me with your best shot. Hit me with your best <laughs> shot. You you turned down a a, a, a a prominent role in saying elsewhere. Yeah, you know that. Well, that happened so quick. That was right after, as soon as Barney was going off the air, and I had office from Broadway, and I I didn't know if I wanted to get right back into television. Uh, you know, I thought I'd rather see what would happen next first. I. Figured something would come up, and it did eventually. I, I, you know, series work. Um, yeah. That may have been a mistake. I have made many in my <laughs> quite long <laughs> career, yes. I was touched by a video online, Hal, and doing the research, and it's you. And uh, we wanted to. We want to ask you if you're still touring, if you're still doing. Uh, yes. It's still, it's still a, doing the act. You're still doing the act. Yeah. It's a, it's a video of you singing uh, a, a rather moving Neil Sedaka song called yeah. The Hungry Years. Yeah. And you have a little monologue before the song where you're talking about, and it's very interesting. Well, it's, you know, the, the interesting part, it's uh, it's a Neil Sedaka song, uh, though we rewrote it. It's uh, Neil Sedaka's song is about a broken marriage. Oh. If you know the original. Uh it's a marriage that's over, and I miss the hungry years when we started out. That, right, right, right. Yes, but that didn't fit the act because I wasn't talking about that. I was talking about about uh, nostalgia and remembering. Everybody's got a place that they remember. I think one of the lines is. Is there anybody here who never had a bookcase made of bricks and lumber? Right. You're, you're talking about you're talking about the old, the first apartment. Yes. And first the struggles. Apartment. The, decorating it and the struggles we went through. And so we, uh, Ken and Missy Welch rewrote the lyric uh, to reflect mm-hmm. what I was talking about. about my hungry is because yeah. I was married for fifty two years. I didn't have a broken marriage. You know. Uh, so uh, it's a. Uh, by the way, that's why it's not on the uh, on the cast on the uh, CD. <laughs> Cause, oh, because I see because of the rewrite. Not, yes, it's a rewrite. Yeah. It's a parody. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but it's very sweet what you do with it, and it's interesting yeah. that you have a soft spot still for the for the struggle, in spite of all the it's successes. True. It's true. I do miss the hungry years. There were things that that. I remember going to the supermarket with with two little baby girls and opening up Swiss cheese and giving them each a piece so they could eat it and make sure I got rid of the package before I got to the front so I wouldn't have to pay for it. You know. Wow. Uh, yes, specifically hungry years. They were. Terrific times because you were trying, you were working so hard to accomplish something, and uh, and you you do remember the look, you know, going down to Lord and Taylor and looking at the windows at uh, Christmas. That was a big trip. 
with the kids, you know, mm-hmm. to see the and and Saks Fifth Avenue windows. That was like going to, you know, a Broadway musical. That's all we could afford. But that was the the stuff that kept us together and and that we shared. And yes, when it got good, when the times got good, maybe I didn't spend enough time with those kids because I was now had a career, you know. Yeah, I've heard you say that. So... Uh, that that song comes out of comes out of truth comes out of truth i do miss the hungry years yeah well and a lot of people talk about psychologically how the the, the most fun is getting there is looking That's in it. the the window of the That's store the waiting line. for it to open before the, the success line. actually comes you think about the early days of your oh, career gilbert oh yeah it was the and, and it's there. like it and it's both a good and bad feeling at the same time yes because you couldn't buy the kids ice cream. You couldn't, you know, take them to a, to a, a circus. They couldn't afford it. Yes, it's the bad times, but it forced us together to make, to make moments work that lasted. I have four kids, and they all talk to me. That's nice. <laughs> and you have eight grandkids. What more can you ask? <laughs> what more can you ask? That's great. Should we have Hal take us out with another? Uh, oh, you favor us with another tune, Hal? What, what do you got in mind? Um, I don't know. I, I was thinking, is Sweet Georgia Brown a clarinet tune? Yeah, well. Still too hard? How about a Benny Goodman something or other? Benny's closing number. Oh. The musical stylings of Mr. Hal Linden. <laughs> That's great. Thank you. So, this is great. This has been great, Hal. What, what, you have anything you want to plug? Um, you did the Fantastics this summer. Fantastics, we just closed. <laughs> yeah, the, you just uh, closed that uh, one. Great, You're doing great, some- wonderful production at Pasadena Playhouse. Um, I did a um, American Housewife. Is that the name of it? Yeah. Coming on Christmas. Okay. And... Um, uh, I'll be down at uh, the Old Globe in San Diego doing a uh, the Steve Martin play, the uh, Picasso at the La Panagile. You're still working spring, constantly in the January. Yeah, still still working steadily. <sighs> Good for you. It's the doing that's the reward. You know, I I don't have to tell you. I talk to a lot of kids in college, uh, acting students. I got to tell them. The reward is in the doing. And if it's not in the doing, do something else. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you're going to get to New York anytime soon? You're coming back to the Carlisle? 
Oh, I wish. <laughs> I wish. Uh, that was that was terrific gig. The, yeah. Gig. Yeah. No, I I think they changed their policy. I don't think we're did they. they? But you're still doing you're still doing the music act. You're still, still touring. doing you're the concert act. It's songs, stuff I do on Broadway. Stuff I wish I did on Broadway. Songs like um, uh, "Hungry Years." Yeah. And you're singing. I mean, on Broadway, you can't really fake it. No. Like you could do on records. That's true. <laughs> yeah. That's true. And 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 you know that was the hard part because I was a band crooner i all for all those years as a as a musician i was singing in the microphone like that you know and then when you get to broadway you're on your own we didn't even have microphones as i said in our hair in those days you had to be able to hit the back wall uh that was a concerted effort on my part to open my sound out so that i could sing on broadway and uh it was a good career. I loved that. That's that's another part of the hungry is that. Uh, you know, there's a, there's another clip of you too. The talk talk about uh, you know consummate professional. There's a clip online of you in in uh, in one of the music shows, and you're doing Harold Hill, and you're doing the Music Man so oh. beautifully. And I'm thinking, I'm watching this, and I said to my wife, I didn't know how Lyndon was in the Music Man. And then when the when the, when the, you know, the song was over, you said, I never got the part. No, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> I auditioned for it. I had to learn it, it for that. Uh, it was when uh, uh, Preston did it on Broadway. Actually, I did get the part, but I didn't take it. Uh, oh, interesting. The, yeah, it was... Um, uh, Pre- Preston had done it on Broadway. They're sending out, I think, a second road company. And I had to learn that part, and I auditioned for it, and they offered it to me. But I had just had my first child. I was an infant. And I had to, you know, to go on the road. I wasn't about to leave them behind, so it was a question of we had to take a nanny and extra traveling, and we just couldn't come to terms on the <laughs> on the uh, salary. So I just, I couldn't do it. And I never did it, interestingly. Part yeah, but you do it so well. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I would ur- urge our listeners, go to YouTube and look at the clips of, of, uh, of Hal's one-man show. It's great stuff. Not only the music, but the, but the, the little monologues, the storytelling. It's, well, it's, you know, uh, I, I, I'm a good singer. Am I a great singer? Mm. I'm a good clarinet player. Am I a great clarinet player? <laughs> but what I am, or what I have most confidence in, is that I, I, I'm a good actor. And so putting it together became an acting job, a construction, a, in a sense, a play construction, knowing uh, how to do what and how to, how to go from song to song and, and make a narrative out so that the act is not just a concert uh, that is a group of songs. It's got a beginning, a middle, and an end. And that, I think, comes from being in theater for so many years because a character has to have a beginning, a middle, and an end. So when you're designing a character, you're already creating a structure for the character. I'm a big believer in structure. So I... I do a concert, but it's a structured concert so that it hopefully 
uh, it has meaning. And if the, an audience doesn't know me at the beginning, they'll know me at the end. Well, I hope I get a chance to see you live sometime. Tell the Carlisle, bring me back. Okay. <laughs> we use our influence. Yeah. Our limited influence. Thanks, Al. It's a treat. A pleasure, sir. So, I'm Gilbert Gottfried. This has been Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast with my co-host, Frank Santo Padre. And we've been talking to someone who can and has done everything in show business. <laughs> he sure has. Hal Linden. Thank you, Hal. A pleasure, sir.